to offset that purchase. So I'm essentially booking a really cool, interesting, off the beaten path place for 5,000 points a night. Hello, hello. Welcome back to a very strange and special episode of the Daily Drop podcast. Um, it's just going to be me today because I totally screwed up uh, with my time zone. I'm currently 13 hours ahead of where Megan is and I got my wires crossed. And so now Megan is fast asleep and I will be recording this episode by myself. My fault. So sorry, Megan. Now, if you're watching this on YouTube, as opposed to listening to it, you probably, you might notice my strange um, environment here. That is because I am currently recording this to you from a yurt in rural Mongolia, uh, specifically in Terelj National Park. Pretty weird. Just a crazy situation. The fact that I can do this from a place as remote as this without power or Wi-Fi, but thankfully my phone, I have tons of data to hotspot my computer to plug in this microphone and record a quick episode for you. So pretty cool. If you're just listening, then maybe hop over to YouTube quick and and see this kind of bizarre situation I'm in right now. Anyway, speaking of bizarre situations, today I thought I would just go through some sort of, not strange, but less uh, known, lesser known travel hacks. I was thinking about like the fact that I booked this yurt with points and miles and what are some other things that maybe you don't think of right away, or maybe they're just really simple hacks that you overlook because you don't think they could be beneficial or valuable or apply to you that we can talk about to just do some quick hit hacks that we don't uh, often talk about either because they're a little off the beaten path or because they just don't constitute an entire podcast episode or an entire daily drop newsletter or something, but they're still potentially valuable. So hack number one, like I said, I booked this bad boy with points and miles and that is just a really cool example of how you can get creative with some of the more flexible points currencies out there. For example, this is um, this yurt I found on Airbnb. It cost about 50 bucks a night on Airbnb. <clears throat> and um, because of that, because Airbnb is a travel website, so on your credit card, it logs as a travel purchase, you can use Capital One Miles to offset those purchases at a rate of one cent per point. So for this $100 expense for the two nights that I'm here, <clears throat> I can use 10,000 Capital One Miles, which I did, to offset that purchase. So I'm essentially booking a really cool, interesting, off-the-beaten-path place for 5,000 points a night. And considering what I'm getting, just the overall experience, it's actually honestly quite comfortable too. It comes with breakfast even. There's a like a little hut uh, with the hosts that is just a few hundred yards away that um, I can walk to in the morning and, and they'll cook me breakfast. And considering all that, just uh, 5,000 points a night is awesome. And so you can really get creative with how you're using some of these uh, points and miles, especially the ones that you can just directly offset purchases with. And Canadians, uh, Scotiabank has cards that are similar to that. Scene plus points is the currency you earn with Scotiabank. And much like Capital One Miles, you can offset uh, travel purchases at a rate of one cent per point, which is awesome. Now, another hack that I've been doing a lot recently, and I don't think I've ever really talked about it, is when you're staying at a hotel. So we're switching from your in National Park in Mongolia to normal chain hotel. So when you book a Marriott, a Hyatt, Hilton, IHG, etc. hotel, 
And you need to spend money at that hotel. So I'm talking things like food, like if you don't have breakfast included, but you um, pay for it or room service charges or maybe a spa or a tour that the hotel organizes for you or an airport pickup or something like that. Anything that you're paying for, always charge it to your room because a lot of hotels, they'll say, do you want to put a deposit down or do you want to do a pre-authorization on your card or do you want to just pay for things when they happen? And so like when room service comes up, you could just pay them with your card right there and fill out the little slip and everything and you're all paid up. Or you could just run a tab at the hotel and you always want to do that because at the end of your stay, those charges go on your hotel folio. And that means that in addition to just the credit card points you earn from paying for them, you earn all of the extra points from, say, being a member of the loyalty program or elite benefits, um, like multiplied points from elite benefits from the hotel program. Or if there's a promotion going on where it's like double points at these hotels or triple points or something, those all get factored in. And so when you spend $100 on room service, <clears throat> if you charge it to the room, you can get thousands and thousands more points than if you just sort of pay for it as it happens. So I'm always conscious of that because um, sometimes I need to say, get an airport shuttle or something, or sometimes very occasionally I'll book a tour and fairly often I'll at, in certain situations, I'll order room service and I always make sure to just bill as much of it as possible to my room. So that goes on my folio and I'm earning tons and tons of points. Next hack status matches for one-time perks. <clears throat> so every once in a while, there's a really good status match opportunity and a status match will have a status match. And they'll say, if you have elite status with a different airline, let's say United Airlines or Delta or Air Canada or whatever, if you have elite status with one of those airlines, we'll match to our, our uh, level, similar level of elite status with us. And you'll get to keep that status for say three months. And then if you fly with us during those three months, we'll extend the status even further. Something like that is generally how it's structured. <clears throat> and a lot of people will see these opportunities and say, well, you know, I'm not going to fly with British Airways at all in the next three months. So this is useless to me. And, or they're like, I'm not going to, I'm only going to fly with them once. So I won't be able to meet the, the extension requirements. And so it's just not worth it, blah, blah, blah. I tend to use these status matches, however, not for the long-term play to basically fly a lot with that airline or to um, extend the status match, but rather just for a one-time perk, either on that airline or an Alliance airline. So for example, let's say that that exact scenario that I laid out for you, British Airways has a status match. I have Air Canada elite status. So let's say I can match my Air Canada status to British Airways. Now, because British Airways is part of an airline alliance, the One World Alliance, that means that I can get benefits even when I'm flying American Airlines. So something I would consider, let's say I have an American Airlines flight lined up, I would look for a status match with maybe American, maybe British Airways, something in that alliance, because then if I can match that status, even for my one itinerary that I have on American Airlines, now I'll get benefits like lounge access with them, even if I'm flying economy, potential business upgrades, um, priority boarding, a free checked bag, something like that. And so the status match, even though I'm not involved with British Airways in any way, can still be beneficial, even just as a one-time use for a random American Airlines itinerary that I might have coming up just to reap those benefits for one time, because why not? Uh, there's no reason not to, and it could 
pay off. You might get a business upgrade. You might get really nice lounge access. And so status matches don't always, you don't always need to think about the long-term play or like completing the match or even flying with the airline that's offering the match at all. So just another little creative way to think about those. Another one is bidding for upgrades. And I think I talked about this recently, so I won't dwell on this, but if you have booked a flight with an airline, sometimes you'll get an email in the days leading up to it or the weeks leading up to it or the hours leading up to it that says bid for an upgrade to business class or premium economy, something higher than than what you've booked. And usually there's a minimum amount you need to bid. And I have always just written these things off because I'm like, eh, like the I'd only really be comfortable bidding the absolute minimum and chances are like somebody's going to outbid me. So why bother? But last year I did this with a flight in South America and I bid $6 and was successfully upgraded to business class. And so when these kind of offers come in that if you fly a lot, like I do, I just see them in my inbox constantly. And I just at a certain point kind of forget about them or write them off or ignore them. I think differently about that now because ever since that time last year where I got upgraded to business for $6, now I look at the minimum bid and if it's like $6 or sometimes even if it's like $100, but it's a lie flat business seat on a really nice airline, I'll highly, highly consider throwing in a bid now that I have just kind of seen that, hey, maybe it's possible, who knows? And if I can get a really cheap business class upgrade to something that's way, way more valuable than what I paid, you never know. Uh, so that's just something to consider. Don't uh, automatically write those off. <clears throat> Another hack, this is in the realm of maybe sweet talking, where it's not so much like a hack as, as it is just like being a normal human, I guess. <laughs> like with sweet talking, we say, yeah, if you just be nice and ask for something, sometimes you'll get it. And people have a lot of success just doing that. And Aside from like room upgrades and things like that, you can ask for more from a hotel. For example, I was talking to someone last year who had a great story. They wanted to go spend a month in a big city in Southeast Asia, and um, they wanted to book a specific hotel. And the hotel, obviously for an entire month, it was going to be pretty expensive. And what they did is they called the hotel and they just said, can we speak to the manager? This was before they booked anything. And they talked to the manager and they said, hey, yeah, like we're kind of in a unique situation. Like we <clears throat> we want to stay for a pretty long term stay. And we were wondering if you could do anything for us, like price wise, room rate wise. And the manager was like, oh, yeah, for sure. Let's uh, give you an, a wicked awesome rate. <laughs> and there, there are all kinds of rates floating around, like corporate rates, long term stay rates, maybe rates that a manager has the power to offer you that's not publicly available, where if you just ask, Sometimes you can get a really good deal. And so I'd say if you're in any kind of unique situation, unique meaning maybe it's a long-term stay like this one, like way longer than most people would stay at a hotel, or maybe it's a very special occasion, um, anything like that, contact the hotel and just say, hey, I have this unique situation that I'm in. Is there anything you can do for me? And much like sweet talking, you'd be surprised how often those things can work out because like we always say with sweet talking, they're just people working here. Their staff, their managers, they have the power to do a lot of things. And if you're nice to them and they have the ability to do it, a lot of the time they would prefer to help you if they can. And so they have no reason not to a lot of the time. So yeah, just in the realm of 
always ask because you never know something cool might happen. Next hack. This is just kind of a quick racking up a bunch of points through little things that individually don't mean much, but together could potentially mean much. And this is joining programs and doing little tasks that give you small batches of points. So for example, when you sign up for Marriott um, or Hilton, or I think even IHG now, there are offers just for joining their programs that you can get a few thousand points. Now, that's not a ton of points, but there are other ways to get more points. For example, if you have a household with, say, four people in it, if you all do that with those programs and get a few thousand points each, and then most of these programs let you freely transfer the points between accounts so you can pool them together, now you're looking at a meaningful number of points, especially if you do it with multiple programs. Then a lot of these programs also give you bonuses for, say, linking accounts like maybe Marriott and Eat Around Town, the dining portal through Marriott, or Marriott and Uber have a relationship where if you sort of link these accounts and sometimes maybe like use it once or something, you can get an outsized amount of bonus points for doing that. And again, multiply that by multiple people in a household or you and your friends or something, and then pool those points together. Again, those add up to quite a bit. Um, the same thing can be done with, say, Delta and Starbucks have a relationship where they have offers like that sometimes. Built uh, lets you gives you points just for linking your loyalty numbers to their transfer partners. They give you 100 points a pop and linking your credit cards to the, the Built wallet, which, again, you don't have to buy anything. You don't have to have the Built credit card at all. Anybody can do this. And just from doing those things, I think you can rack up around 2,000 Built points which you can then transfer away to a program like Hyatt, where you could almost have enough points to book a low category hotel room with that. And so these little tiny things that everybody should do at some point, and then multiply that by if you have multiple people in a household, or maybe you're planning a trip with friends even, and you can do this and you and each of your friends do all of these things and then pool the points into one of those person's accounts. And then you have possibly enough to book a hotel night or a couple hotel nights somewhere it can really add up if you get creative and it's a pretty low effort way to do it. It's a little bit tedious, but again, like if you're talking about maybe an hour of work for a potential payoff of a night in a hotel room, I think that it's um, a lot of people overlook these tiny little things instead of seeing how much they can add up to in the end. Okay. Final quick hack of the day, retention offers. We've talked about this in the newsletter we might have talked about this on the podcast at some point, but I think this is also highly overlooked in the credit card travel hacking space. A retention offer, if you don't know, is um, when you're going to close a card, instead of closing it, call the bank and say, I'm thinking of closing this card because of X, Y, Z reasons. And sometimes the bank will come to you and say, would you consider keeping the card if we give you something? And that is called a retention offer. They're trying to retain you as a customer. And they'll do that in the form of maybe giving you bonus points. Maybe they'll waive the annual fee. Maybe they'll give you some kind of offer that requires a little more spending, like almost like a second sign-up bonus in some cases. It's not usually as good as a full-on sign-up bonus. But again, uh, if you are considering closing the card, these are ways that you can get even more value for the cards, keep them open. It's good for the banks because they keep you on as a customer. 
And I guess the hacky part of this is that you can call and ask for this even if you're not planning on closing the card. So I do this sometimes even with cards that I know I'm going to keep. But what I'll do is I'll call and say, eh, uh, I'm thinking of closing this card. And it's important to have some reasons in your head. Like, for example, I have hotel credit cards that offer free nights every year. Those cards I'm going to keep open forever. And I know it. The bank doesn't know that, though. And so I'll call and I'll say, hey, I have this uh, Marriott card. I'm thinking of closing it. Um, but I was wondering if you had any retention offers available. And they'll know exactly what you mean when you say that. And they'll say, why do you want to close the card? And I'll say something like, well, I have another Marriott card and there's no point in having two. And so I don't want to have to pay the annual fee, even though that's kind of baloney because the annual fee, you know, is essentially in my mind paid for with that free night every year. Uh, but I'll say that to them and they'll be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. There's no reason to have two. And then they'll say, okay, how about this? If you spend $1,000 in the next three months, we'll give you like 30,000 bonus Marriott Bonvoy points. Would if like, would you accept that retention offer and keep the card for at least another year? And I say, yes, as a matter of fact, I'd love that. And then I get a bunch more Marriott points. And there are a couple things to keep in mind here. One, if you get a retention offer, <laughs> and then you complete the requirements and you get your bonus points, you need to keep that card open for at least another year. So do not close the card. That's bad. The banks might shut you down if you do that. Um, and then the next year, there is a very small chance that you would get another retention offer. So it's likely at that point, you'd have to just keep the card open for longer or decide to close it at that point, but always wait a year before you make that choice again. The second thing is that it usually takes a couple years of having the card open to get a retention offer. And it usually takes some regular activity. So if you have a card open, you've kept it open for one year, even if you use it a lot, small chance you'll get a retention offer. And even if you've had a card open for say five years, but you just don't really use it. It's one of those keeper cards where you keep it in your sock drawer and maybe you use it for the perks or maybe you've forgotten about it or something, or maybe it has no annual fee. So you just haven't bothered to close it. If you haven't been doing at least some spending on that card, even if you've had it open for years, there is a chance that they won't want to retain you because they're not um, making any money off of you as a customer anyways. And so they don't want to invest more into you when it's clear that even if they get you to hold on to the card, you're just not going to be a profitable customer to them. So there are situations, don't expect a retention offer, but it's always worth asking. I certainly always ask, especially when I think about closing a card. But like I said, even sometimes when I have a card that I know I'm going to keep forever, every few years, I'll call in and ask for a retention offer. And sometimes you get them. And it's a great way to just add even more value to cards that you're uh, either not getting value from or you are getting value from. So I hope you enjoyed some of those quick hacks. Um, and yeah, if you have any questions about these, let me know. If you enjoyed this episode, definitely let us know by uh, sending us a message at podcast at dailydrop.com or you can always leave a comment on YouTube. Give us a thumbs up if you like it. Please don't give us a thumbs down, please. Or leaving us a review on whichever app you're using to listen to podcasts. Uh, we always appreciate feedback so we can keep improving and especially positive feedback if you are enjoying this really helps us to reach some more listeners in the future. So thanks for tuning in. I'm going to get back to my Mongolian yurt life and I'll see you guys in the next episode.